Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is our Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. It'll probably be the last one we do until after the uh, Christmas break. Um, we'll come back and do some more regular podcasts. We'll, we'll not do a podcast next Monday. Just wanted to let people know about that, our regularly scheduled Monday Peristyle Podcast. But we will talk a little bit more recruiting today. And we have... USCfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez on the phone with us to share all his thoughts and pick his brain regarding USC recruiting. What's up, Gerard? How are you? I'm doing good. Now we have approached the dead period for recruiting, so technically there is going to be minimal, if any, contact between recruits and the coaching staff. And so this is kind of um, that big uh, sigh of relief. It's the, okay, the early enrollees look like they're all secure. They're in uh, for the most part um, outside of Ty Isaac, who we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, just not being able to be an early enrollee because uh, of Julia Catholic and uh, some some school policies that uh, they put in place. Uh, But, you know, outside that, it's definitely kind of the halftime of the last uh, stretch to, uh, you know, the the big signing day in in USC, you know, maintaining this number one class. So, you know, right now it's just kind of, uh, I think, you know, the coaching staff looking back on their board, kind of checking to see, you know, who who do we have here, who do we feel good about, who are our plan Bs, who are our plan Cs, and uh, trying to organize uh, really that big visit weekend January 18th because it's kind of going to be one big visit weekend for them just like uh, it's been. I mean, really this whole recruiting process has come down to two weekends for USC. It was uh, the big December 7th uh, weekend where they brought in most of their early enrollees. And, uh, you know, you had a few kids in this past weekend. We'll talk about that here soon. Uh, But then it's going to be that January 18th uh, where you're going to have all the kids that are committed and uh, a bunch of the guys that are not committed that they're still targeting. So (laughs) you kind of have to everything, you know, the whole long season, the whole long summer. It's kind of really about two big weekends. Yeah, two. uh, Well, I mean, Obviously, it's a very dynamic situation. USC is in a strange position, having only been able to sign 15 guys plus a couple extra early enrollees compared to the other schools, 25. So it's been really a different year for USC recruiting. We had that big weekend we talked about before. This past weekend, not as big, but a couple of five-star players were on campus. Maybe you can kind of give people an update of what the visits were like this weekend. The visits went very well. Um, you know, I, I think USC is that one school where you can always really depend upon a visit being a big factor in a, in a, in a recruit's recruitment. They're always successful. They're always positive. You know, the, the recruits really come away from it, and they're always tired. You know, you, you do so much. It's Los Angeles, so I think they really they, they almost wear the kids out trying to get them to see as much as possible and hitting all these different events. And, uh, you know, this was a little unique because uh, they had three official visitors this weekend, and they all got to see practice which was different than last weekend. USC wasn't practicing last weekend when uh, uh, all the early enrollees and uh, Max Redfield and Ashawn Robinson and some of those guys that were still being targeted came in for official visits. So this weekend we had them go out, you know, we saw, uh, you know, Kenny Bigelow, who's the five-star defensive tackle from Elton, uh, Maryland, who's already committed to USC. A huge part, a huge, huge part of this 2013 class for USC. I mean, he was the first commitment of the 2013 class. A lot of people said back then, eh, it's too early. USC will never keep him committed. He's going to get recruited from Alabama, from Ohio State. And you know what? I was one of those people. I was in line saying, you know, it's way too early to get all obsessed about, you know, a defensive tackle that's all the way in the East Coast that's committed. You know, things change so much through the process. But it's highly touted and is – as uh, is, is coveted as Kenny Bigelow was, 
he really is one of the most solid guys throughout the recruiting process for USC. I mean, he's, he's never taken really any official visits. You know, he took a couple unofficial visits earlier in the process, very early in the process. But, you know, pretty much the whole fall, even though his team only played three or four games during the season because there was a whole uh, issue with them being certified to play athletics in Maryland, um, Eastern Christian Academy is, is really a new school, and there was a lot of issues with them and, and whether they were certified by, by the Athletic Association in Maryland. Um, it was really a school that kind of sort of just moved its football team from Red Lion, um, which was in Delaware, which was most of those schools or most of those players were from, and then they just kind of moved that school down to Maryland. So I think that was a big issue. I think a lot of the Maryland schools were kind of like, hey, man, these guys are – you know, it's it's a it's a it's a team of ringers basically coming in with David Sills, who's already committed to USC. He's been committed to USC since he was in seventh grade. You know, Kenny Bigelow, five star, uh, Cleo Rogers, four star. They got a bunch of guys that are Division One guys on that team. So I think that had probably a lot to do with schools pulling out and not wanting to play them. And the result was they only played three to four games during the whole season. So that was plenty of time, plenty of time for Kenny Bigelow and Cleo Rogers to go take official visits, to go see other schools. But they didn't. And Bigelow, you know, he even said in the update that we did uh, just last night, you know, he said, I, it's not a secret. I could have gone anywhere in the country to play college football. But USC was where I just wanted to be. That was, it was Los Angeles, uh, just the, the city itself, the, the, the fact that I can, you know, do all kinds of different things, everything's so close, go to beaches, go to mountains, you know, go into the city. He's that kind of personality. You know, he's a kid that really likes to, to just be around people. And I think, you know, also back on campus, just the degree and the education and, and the combination he felt was really the thing that stood out to him about USC and really never changed. And so he's been solid, and, and, and it's just a huge part of that. When you get a guy who's 6'3", 295, and is as fast, athletic, as strong as he is, you know, we talked about this defensive line class and how it could be the best in the nation. And really, when we looked at it early on, it seemed like the, the secondary class was going to be maybe what was going to be the the real big deal about this 2013 um, signing class for USC, you know, with the safeties and the depth there was uh, in the secondary, but really now it's, it's becoming about the defensive line and not just the guys that they have committed, which is a tremendous bunch of guys. And, and, you know, USC's trying to keep those guys committed, but, you know, some of the guys that they're going to be bringing in on visits maybe, you know, later on that could add to the class or maybe replace some guys uh, if guys start wavering, it's going to be probably, a very, very good defensive line class. And Kenny Bigelow is kind of the feature marquee guy in there with it. And, and joining him this weekend were two guys who are uncommitted. And the biggest name, I, I think, and probably the biggest question mark with everybody and throughout the process, he's been that one guy. He's really been that one recruit dangling out there that a lot of people knew had interest in USC but remained uncommitted, and that's Leon McQuay III. Leon McQuay – Tampa guy, uh, you know, defensive back, you know, you know Monty Kiffin and Lane Kiffin have a lot of ties uh, to that part of Florida, and they always seem to be able to get in with some of those top players uh, just with their connections and just with, uh, you know, especially Monty Kiffin's reputation. And so USC had been on him for a while. Uh, has been a guy that's, that's liked USC, came out for his unofficial visit right after the Hawaii game. Didn't come for the Hawaii game, but right after. And there's a lot of talk, you know, he wanted to commit to USC, but his folks wanted him to go through the process, wanted him to take all his official visits before he made the decision. So he's gone through all his official visits. You know, he's visited Vandy. He's visited Michigan. He's visited, um, I think he officially visited Florida, too. And, or maybe he was unofficially there when Jalen Ramsey was there on an official. I can't remember that. Uh, but he's also officially visited Oregon. So, you know, all those schools, um, he's, you know, he's, he's seen them. Last visit comes down to USC last weekend, and he had his mom and he had his dad there, his biological mom and his dad. And so, you know, it was, it was a really big time for USC because, you know, we've, we've talked about Max Redfield and, and his interest in Notre Dame and, you know, the real possibility he goes to Notre Dame. USC needs safeties. It's a huge, huge need uh, because you're going to lose three guys and you've got two more guys that are going to be, you know, turn around and being seniors next year. It's a big deal to be able to get some safeties and have a, a little bit of depth, um, and, and, and not just depth, but guys that can come in and make you know an impact early on. They have Sua Cravens that's committed, five-star, best player, maybe on the West Coast. I mean, he's right there with Max Brown. That's going to be a debate, you know, coming into the Army game, who's the best player on the West Coast. 
uh, you know, Sua, Sua does it all. You know, Sua does it on offense. He does it on defense. He does it on special teams. He's going to be a guy that can come in and, and possibly play as a true freshman almost right away out of the box. Uh, but, it, you know, we made some comments in the war room about the safety position, and I think it's kind of good to maybe clarify, kind of compared it to if USC loses out on Max Redfield and Leon McQuay, it is similar, at least in my opinion, there's a comparison to be made with them losing Kyle Murphy and Andres Pete last year at the left tackle position. You know, people will go, well, wait a second, wait a second, you've got Sue Cravens. You know, how can you, how can you see, say that there's that big a miss at the safety position when you've got a guy like Sue Cravens already in your back pocket? Well, people forget, USC had George Simmons in their back pocket last year. You know, they had Max Turek. They had some good players on the offensive line committed and when they lost out on Kyle Murphy and Andres Pete. The thing is, they lost out on a pure, legitimate, real left tackle. That was the problem. And USC still does not have that guy on the roster. That's why we had the third visitor coming in officially this weekend, and Desmond Harrison, 6'7", 305 pounds, from Contra Costa College up there in Northern California, San Pablo, California. He's originally from Texas, actually, Missouri City, Texas, and then moved out uh, to uh, North Carolina and actually went back home for the holidays to North Carolina when he left USC. He's that guy who would be a little bit, you know, legit left tackle for USC. And I think when you look at the safety position this year and you look at that left tackle position last year, I, I mean, I think if they lose that free safety, that guy that complains to Sua, uh, and they don't get Redfield or, or Leon McQuay, I think it's definitely a strikeout in the same position. It's going to put USC – and a little bit where they're going to try to have to, you know, move Josh Shaw over there. Um, they're going to have to adjust a little bit to try to move somebody over there uh, to be able to play uh, and, and start at that, that really that free safety type position. Now, obviously, the defensive coordinator that's going to be hired, his system is going to dictate kind of how they use those safeties. We've seen with Pete Carroll and somewhat with Monty Kiffin, and, and I think this was not necessarily what they wanted to do with Monty's defense, but it's kind of what they had to do. You really had two strong safeties playing safety. It was almost like they're playing with two left feet. You know, Pete Carroll liked to play with those big safeties. He'd have Kevin Ellison out there, and he'd have Taylor Mays. Or you'd have Darnell Bing and you'd have Scott Ware. You had a lot of guys that were just big guys. You didn't have a covered safety out there. They really used their safeties a lot like linebackers. They were interchangeable in the line of scrimmage. I think with Monty's defense, it would have been better if they would have had an actual covered safety. A guy that really keeps his head up, looking for the ball, plays the angles well, um, plays the field well, and it's not just a physical guy that's going to come up and hit you. Starling was a physical guy that was just going to come up and hit you. He's not uh, a really good coverage guy. And really, T.J. McDonald ended up playing you know, free safety as a 6'3", 215-pound safety who's – I don't know if that's you know, really going to be his position uh, going to the NFL. Uh, he might be a guy that ends up playing outside linebacker. But, you know – the point is, neither of those guys were really ball hawks. And so the next guy that comes in as a defensive coordinator, I don't think the system's going to change a whole bunch. I think from what we're hearing from Lane, just his rhetoric coming out of practice, he doesn't want to change a whole lot. I just You just don't get the sense that he's willing to just wipe the slate clean. So the guy that they bring in, there's probably going to be some ties. There's probably going to be a lot of familiarity with the Tampa 2 system. And so you're probably, I think, going to have a strong safety and a free safety. I think that's what the coach that comes in really wants to use. He wants to use a, a two different kind of safety system. And that's when you're going to need somebody next to a guy like Sue Cravens or, you know, Jared Bowman, um, you know, maybe Demetrius Wright, whoever ends up coming up and starting up that strong safety position, he's got to have to have somebody next to him. That's a, leg a legitimate free safety. So, that's, that's where I think that comparison to last year, not getting that left tackle, they miss out on those two guys um, as free safeties, Redfield and McQuay, kind of a, a similar situation. It, it's going to put USC in a little bit uh, of a precarious position where they're going to be you know, trying to use somebody there maybe that's a little out of position. That's what they've had to do this year on the offensive line. I guarantee you, Andres Pete, Kyle Murphy, either one of those guys are probably going to be starting this past year if they would have signed with USC because it's just the fact is USC does not have a really true uh, left tackle. So that's where that comparison comes in. That's, you know, on the offensive line, it's kind of, you know, it comes full circle. That's why Kesman Harrison was visiting this weekend. If they felt like they could just bring in a guy who could be a quick offensive lineman that could come in and maybe give them, you know, some immediate physical impact on the offensive line to play left tackle, they're going to do it. So they found him. 
brought him in on a visit. Everything we hear, he had a good visit. But uh, as far as an update goes, same top four that he's had. You know, it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, it's Arizona State, and it's USC. Don't really know if, uh, you know, a lot of people say USC, kind of the dark horse there. Oklahoma is like the school that leads. I don't know that anything's really changed thus far. Um, he was pretty even keel about the visit. He said he definitely enjoyed it on the phone. Um, so we're just going to have to see in the near future if, uh, if anything changes. He says he's going to make his uh, announcement probably the third week of January, which – you know, and he's not, and, and Desmond Harrison is not going to be uh, an early enrollee, so he's not a guy that's you know has to worry about uh, early January making the decision. He's going to be a, probably a May enrollee, or he's a May graduate, so he'll be a June enrollee. So that's not going to be a big issue for him either. Now, going back to Leon McQuay, Leon McQuay is an early enrollee. He's supposed to make a decision January fourth at the Under Armour All American game. What we understand publicly, he's still got his top five. He's still got four state. He's still got USC, Oregon, Michigan, and Vanderbilt. They said that, you know, UCF is maybe making a little bit of a push. I think that's more of local pressure, just trying to keep, you know, the local team placated. Um, from what we understand, it's it's probably not a top five at this point. You know, it's probably down to more like two or three. Uh, and from what we hear, USC will definitely be in it to the end. So, you know, that's that, you know, Liam McQuay, as far as, you know, the whole thing about, you know, can they lose Redfield and McQuay? They can, but right now we've, we, hear that you know USC did a pretty good job with Liam McQuay all right excuse me all right uh let's go we gotta get some questions in here because uh that was kind of a little (laughs) that was a little long intro for our first uh question I guess for me just on the weekend stuff but we do have a bunch of questions to get to Gerard so I wanted to start off with a voicemail question here you go JD from DC Gerard uh got a question on recruiting uh, we seem to be coming to the end of the uh, recruiting season here very shortly. I'm just curious, what's the status uh, regarding visits of some of these out-of-state names that have been tossed around prominently the last couple of months, like Montrevious Adams, Quentin Powell, Trey Johnson, Green, that running back from Virginia, Laramie Tunsil, and, of course, the more local guys, Goodman and uh, Willis. I assume the latter two could make a... Uh, official visit at the last minute, particularly if uh, McQuay and Redfield fall through. But I haven't heard much about the other guys, and I'm curious if we've got any more out-of-state official visits lined up. Fight on. Well, to answer your question, uh, there's quite a few guys coming in on January 18th. And uh, I would would say at this point you're probably going to get Montrevious Adams coming in. Um, I think Carl Lawson is, is, a, is a good bet for maybe that January 18th slot. Um, some of the other guys that you mentioned, probably not. Um, I, Derek Green at this point, USC doesn't have any interest in. Um, I have not heard any follow-up uh, to him actually being recruited by USC. The story that happened there was that uh, you know Derek Green was back east for the Army All-American Player of the Year Tour with Sue Cravens. And they were talking back and forth, and Derek talked about how he wanted to visit USC, and he always liked USC and wanted to visit USC. So Sewell Cravens, being the satellite recruiter that he is uh, for the 2013 class, um, got on the phone and called you know, Kennedy Palomalu right away and said, hey, I got this five-star guy sitting next to me. He wants to visit USC. You know, can we set up a visit for him? And from what I'm told, Kennedy Palomalu said, you know what, that's great. That's, that, that's awesome that he likes USC, but we've got our two running backs. And USC's really just solid and comfortable with the two guys they've got and Ty Isaac and Justin Davis. I think that, you know, Ty Isaac was really probably the top guy on their board overall, uh, which is going to be interesting to see how he develops and, and, and the evaluation that, that went through with that because, you know, he's a guy that's a, definitely a unique running back at 6'3", 220 pounds. Um, it's, you know, he's just a different kind of dude. Uh, so for him to be at the top of the board for USC is interesting in and of itself. Uh, but they seem pretty comfortable with him. So Derek Green's really not, I think, in, in, in the cards for USC, unless maybe Ty Isaac goes and takes some visits and maybe late all of a sudden gets, you know, starts to waver. At this point, it doesn't look like he is going to waver. It looks like USC's sticking with him and he's sticking with USC. Uh, with Willis and Tahan Goodman, I think the ship is sailed with both those guys. Um, you know, Goodman's still kind of there because he wants to be local, uh, despite all the talk about going to Hawaii and LSU and Florida. 
he's gonna he's it would come down to UCLA and USC at the end of the day. Um, but I, I just get the sense that he's just not a USC guy, and I've said that through and through. I just don't get the sense that he's going to end up at USC, and I, I think he definitely fits UCLA a little more um, just from a student-athlete standpoint. I think the, that uh, that's, that's a good fit for him, and I think there's a very good chance that Priest Willis ends up going there too. Priest Willis, I could see at the last minute maybe going somewhere else, like an LSU or somewhere kind of off the wall, Nebraska. Um, I, I, a little different situation there. They've talked about being a package deal, Goodman and Priest Willis, but that's that's that stuff like i said at the end of the day it's really about those guys individually and i could see priest willis maybe just having more interest in another school outside ucla and popping over and deciding he's going to go to lsu at the last minute that's a that's a possibility i think i think the odds are they both go to ucla right now but i would say goodman probably for sure to ucla and Willis, good chance to UCLA, but there's a little bit of that uh, unknown factor, I think, with him. He's a little more of a wild card, I think, with visits. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's the, you know, Trey, Trey Johnson was another uh, recruit mentioned. Uh, he's a 6'1", 230-pound uh, middle linebacker from Georgia. At this point, it doesn't seem like USC is still recruiting Trey Johnson. And I think Trey Johnson wants to make a decision pretty soon. He may make it at the Under Armour game. Um, he may make it just maybe a week after, but I don't know if he's going to actually get through the process uh, uncommitted all the way to that January 18th, and I don't know that USC is really pushing for him really hard. I think Carl Lawson is a guy that they are going to try to get in and they are going to try to push for, and he does have interest in visiting USC. And I think that there would be really more of a shot with, with Carl Lawson, five-star, 6'2", 255 pounds, quite frankly, the most dominant football player I've seen in this class in person. Um, he's, he's a definite start, day one starter type guy uh, for, for any program, in my opinion. And I think that, uh, you know, with his family and, and, and the things that I know about him personally, I don't think he's a guy that's locked into going to the South. I think that's probably the, this, you know, the, if, you know, Smart money would go on him probably playing in the Southeast. I've heard Miami a couple times with him. But I do think that there is that chance that, you know, he goes to USC, sees USC and decides, you know what, I want to get to the NFL. I see a guy like Ed Ergeron. I see the launching pad that USC has been for so many people. I see Los Angeles, big city, the exposure. Yeah, the Pac-12 where they're throwing the ball. I can get sacks. I'm not just playing against the run all the time in the SEC. There's a lot of factors that I could see Carl Lawson liking and seeing this as a business decision. I think with him, it's more of a business decision. Uh, with with Montreus Adams, he's a little more Southern. He's a little more, okay, you know, I like Clemson, and I like Georgia, and I like Alabama, and I like Georgia again, and oh, wait, I like Clemson still. That's kind of been the ring around the rosy for him for a while, and I, I don't know if I see him just popping out and, and going all the way to USC, having not making any unofficial visits, having not you know had many connections out here with family or anything. So that, that's, that's a, a longer shot, in my opinion. They're still going to have guys like Quentin Powell and Matthew Thomas. Both those guys are coming in January 18th uh, as of now. Um, you know, I think those are guys also when you talk about the business decision, when you talk about guys that are looking at the plain statistics of it, when they're looking at the opportunity and they've got their eye, he's just a little beyond college. Those are guys that USC has a good shot at. Quentin Powell specifically because Quentin Powell has a former teammate out here and Leonard Williams. Both those guys are mainland alums. And I think that just having a guy out here that's been successful, that's been freshman, um, I think, uh, what was he, conference player of the year uh, for defense, uh, Leonard Williams for USC, you know, that, that shows a lot. That, that what it does is it provides certainty. Quentin Powell knows Leonard Williams. He knows how good Leonard Williams is. If he feels, you know what, I'm, I'm just as good as Leonard, man. I mean, I, I thought Leonard play. I, I, I can play like Leonard. He feels, well, actually, I can go out to USC and I can start. <laughs> I can go out to USC right away and I can play. And I know that if I do show out, I know if I do prove myself that I will play. Some schools, you're just, you know, if you're a freshman, you're a freshman, and they're going to put you on the bench. You're going to be watching the game. But with USC, I think they proved time and time again, if you can play and, and you've got that legitimate talent, they're going to throw you out there. And even, you know, they're going to throw you out there in fall camp just to see you anyways. You're going to get that opportunity no matter what. And I think that stuff – it really it, it, it provides that bridge of certainty for guys that are so far away that, uh, you know, you're thinking about leaving home, you get cold feet. Well, I've got my guy out there that, that I know, that I've played with, that I'm friends with. 
he's successful, I know I can be successful too. So with Quinn Powell, is definitely a good shot with him. We've heard very, very positive uh, vibes about him, even though he's you know, really been hard to get hold of directly. And like I said, Max Thomas, that's a five-star linebacker, you know, 6'3", 205 pounds, big kid, you know, big frame, um, kind of similar to, you know, the Robinson uh, twins. Um, you know, Terrell Robinson is the, is the linebacker of the two uh, Robinson twins. He's a kind of a big kid. I look at, um, you know, Matthew Thomas that same way, big, broad shoulders, a guy that can definitely put on weight. Um, he, he's going to be a pretty, pretty dominant football player uh, from what I've seen uh, in college. And, and that's, that's a possibility. I think, you know, he, it's a little bit of a long shot just because, you know, USC, again, it's, you know, hasn't been real involved, not a lot of unofficial visits, never been to Los Angeles. Those things really help. They really paved the way for a kid to be able to pull the trigger and go all the way across, across the country to go to college. And he hasn't had that. But again, sort of similar to Carl Lawson. It's a business decision for him. Uh, he's a city boy. He's from Miami. He's not afraid of L.A. There's a little more of a possibility for a guy like that as well. So, you know, like I said, January 18th, it's just going to be huge. You know, we're not sure if that, that whole weekend is going to be stacked. Right now, that's kind of what everybody's talking about, that that's the weekend they're going to come in. USC at the end of the day, maybe that week, maybe the week before, decides, okay, let's spread it out a little more. Let's not just put all our eggs in that 18th basket. Um, but as a possibility, they might because they want some buffer between signing day and their last uh, visit weekend. You know, that, that was kind of the big deal, getting all the commits in that weekend because they didn't want guys – you know, starting to change your mind just the week before or, or, or you know, even two weeks before um, the signing period. So we'll see. You know, you've got – after that, you've got the 25th, and then you've got February 2nd, which you can take visits because signing day is not until uh, February 6th. So we'll see. It could get a little more watered down, and they could decide, you know, let's, let's spread out a little more. Let's, you know, have three or four of those guys the next weekend instead of everybody that weekend. Um, but I guess this time will tell on that. Okay, uh, we're going to have to step up to a little rapid fire, if that's okay, Gerard. I'm covering a lot of questions, I think, with, well, with, with each yes. answer. We've had two answers. <laughs> it's been 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm hoping I am. <laughs> right. I hope I am. Yes, you start going to the Robinson Twins, I'm like, holy crap. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> let's, this is from Melvin. He watched a couple of the Corona Centennial games versus Narbonne and versus Vista Marietta, and was wondering what you thought about number four wideout. It's uh, Ryan Pascarella, I believe his name is, from Corona. Uh, he said he dominated those two games against powerhouse defenses. They couldn't stop him unless they held him. Is USC interested? And if not, why not? No. Uh, I, good player, good high school player, runs good routes, has good hands. Um, I think speed-wise, size-wise, the guys that they're looking at know, and especially with the wide receiver position. I mean, that's a position where uh, they're looking for the next Robert Woods. They're looking for the next Marquise Lee. They're looking for an outlier. They're looking for that five-star amazing player at that position. And they really, they have a quite amazing player there in Steve Mitchell, who I saw actually play in person against Centennial, and he lit Centennial <laughs> up bad. He lit everybody up bad. He lit modern day up bad. I mean, every good team he played against, this guy was – all-purpose yards were in the 200 range and uh, multiple touchdowns. You know, that, 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 that guy's just a special guy, and that's really the level, the standard right now where USC's at. I will add, and this is kind of going off uh, a little bit, in which, you know, I'm sure Ryan's probably cringing right now, uh, but I will add, because I think it's important to say, saw Darius Rogers uh, at practice the other day, and uh, he was just in street clothes, and he came walking over, and I didn't really even recognize him at first because I had heard he'd gotten a little out of shape and, and uh, you know, I could see it and you know, I could see how that might happen because he hadn't played the whole year. I saw him in person, good looking dude. <laughs> he is not out of shape. I tell you that he looked actually a little taller. He, and, you know, his dad is six, four. He looks a little, uh, he looks on the high side of six, two now, which I think he was in the low side of six, two last year. So he might legitimately get in that six, three, six, three and a half range, but he, he was a big dude good-looking dude with all smiles. He's just happy to kind of be in the, the mix of things, and, and, you know, he's very tight with a lot of those players on the team. And so that's a guy you're bringing in as well who, you know, USC feels like he's one of the best pure receivers that they've had and they've recruited. Now, Marquise Lee, not a pure receiver. He was a guy that was just a, a tremendous athlete that they brought in that they knew they would have to teach up and develop as a receiver. Uh, you know, Robert Woods, definitely good receiver, but still a guy that, 
you know, athletically, you kind of think about the things he does overall than, you know, just being a great receiver and great hands and everything. He's developed into being a fantastic route runner, tremendous hands. Darius Rogers kind of had a lot of natural ability that you can't really teach already instilled in him. And that was kind of the thing that I think I heard time and time again about Lane Kiffin being so enamored with him. It's just he naturally catches the ball in the way. He, he opens his body for the catch. He, he's, just, he's a really easy target for the quarterbacks. Just naturally he does certain things that uh, really excite the coaching staff. So he's a guy that you're bringing in. Uh, you're going to have Steven Mitchell in there. That level, that bar is really high uh, athletically at that receiver position. And if they were to bring in another guy in this class, uh, he'd have to be really, really, really special. And I just don't even know if there's a guy anywhere nationally that they would do that. I mean, they had a chance to bring in Laquan Treadwell, who's a big-time receiver in the Midwest out of Illinois, who's eh, roughly about 6'3", maybe 185 pounds, 190 pounds. They balked on that. There was a few guys that had come and gone off the board that they just haven't been that excited with. And obviously with Eldridge Massington, they could have pushed him back and, and, and maybe had him come in in June uh, or even May and, and had him come in. And he's a guy, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds, ran the 10 five, six, um, you know, before he blew out his knee. And they decided, you know what, no. We wanted him in early. We wanted him to get his rehab in early. He can't do that. We don't need to waste another uh, scholarship at that receiver position. So it's really picky. It's, they're being very selective at receiver. So that would be the main reason. All right, let's go to Terry. And he said, in the past, you've stressed that one of USC's assets in recruiting was the development of, pl- of past players. However, last year's performance seemed to indicate little or no improvement in many of the players and some degradation of skills in some. Did the USC coaching staff's ability to develop take a hit out on the recruiting trail? No, I think I've emphasized the coaches themselves as being really the biggest facet of of their recruiting ability. I I think the coaches, their personality, and and just them on the recruiting trail as recruiters always seems to be the biggest asset that they have. And I think that's when it comes down to the visits. I think they pay attention. I think they pay attention to details specifically. They know these kids. Um, they, They spend time with the kids. Um, and they really make them feel comfortable. And that really is what always seems to stand out. You're hearing a lot, you know, I'll say this, McKay Center, <laughs> you know, that was something that USC with Pete Carroll, they had no facilities. I mean, you never, it never came up about facilities of being good, bad, or indifferent with visits. Kids would have great visits, and it would be like, yeah, we went to the Coliseum, it was cool that night to be there and to be on the field, you know, and nobody's in the stadium. And that was about the size of it when it came to facilities. Now you hear the McKay Center all the time, and it makes you wonder, gosh, man, if USC would have had facilities back with Pete Carroll, man, maybe it would have made that much more of a difference. Uh, it's, it's really surprised me how much that has come about and how big of a deal the McKay Center has been to recruiting this past year. Uh, maybe it's just an easy thing for a recruit to throw out there because USC harps on it so much during the tour, and they're always talking about it. And it just is something to say, yeah, you know, it was great. You know, it's hard to know. When when USC was recruiting with Pete Carroll, we always talked about how overrated facilities were. And I, think, and I still think facilities are way overrated. I mean, you just it's just not that big a deal to the development of players. I mean, you've got a weight room and you've got weights. Everybody's got those weights. They're the same weights. They're, you're really not going to get a whole lot different, you know, working out in this big fancy gym as compared to just the standardized, hey, you know, we're, we're just in there and we're working out kind of thing. I, I just don't see there being this fascinating difference. I think all the plasma TVs and all the fanciness that goes on with, say, with iPads and USB plugins and, and elevators and all that stuff, that's just nice convenience. It's not necessarily a big deal to the actual development of a football player. Uh, as far as on the road, and development or lack of development from this past year, not really. Um, you know, I think it's something that over time you start to have five-star guys stack up and they're not producing and they're not getting out, then, yeah, then it's going to be an issue. But it's just too early in the, in, the, in the process for that with this coaching staff, and you've got too many guys in the NFL still that USC can point to. I mean, they're, they're up there with Miami as having the most um, NFL alum uh, in, in, currently playing in the NFL right now. So, it's kind of hard to, 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 I mean, even though that's, you know, this, this coaching staff isn't really responsible for those guys, or at least most of those guys. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin was a coach at USC before, so he can point to a lot of guys. Um, Kennedy Pollock can point to some guys. 
truth is, these guys actually can point to a lot of guys even not at USC. I mean, you know, Kennedy Pohl can talk all day about um, Maurice Jones-Drew, who's a UCLA alum. But Kennedy Pohl is the guy who had him as a rookie and developed him into the player that uh, he is at Jacksonville. So, you know, development-wise, that's, that's something that, again, it has to come, you know, with years and years and years. And if USC is not going to develop those guys – you know, there'll be a change in the coaching staff. The coaches know it. Everybody knows it. So I don't know if that's ever going to be really a big issue. Okay, let's go to David in the OC. He says, I haven't heard much about Jalen Ramsey and Jason Hatcher. What's the word? And I hope USC will keep Eddie Vanderdoes. Okay. Um, well, with Jason, or excuse me, with Jalen uh, Ramsey, I spoke to his dad. Uh, last week, and, um, you know, everything's pretty much everything. You know, the, the, the only real news as far as Jalen is concerned is uh, he lit up uh, the, the Tennessee fans on VolQuest a little bit on Twitter uh, the other day. He uh, just basically said that uh, they need to mind their own business and stop making up stuff. And um, I'm sure that's going to go over well in Knoxville and even in Ryan's house as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think you know, overall he's pretty solid. Um, he, he just loves USC. He's enamored with L.A., um, again, kind of like Kenny Bigelow, I think it's a personality thing. I think he just really likes L.A. He likes the social aspects of L.A. as well as, you know, knowing that USC's got a good degree. You know, you're going to a good school with a good education, and that's been something big with his family throughout. And so, uh, you know, he's got some personal connection out here with uh, Chris Hawkins and stayed with the Hawkins uh, family for, for a, a weekend. and kind of was doing the IE thing in Ranch Cucamonga and Temecula and then went out to USC to go watch uh, the, uh, which was it? Was it the Notre Dame game? I can't remember which game they went to. But they went out to one of the games. And, um, you know, it, 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 I think he's pretty solid with USC. He's still got one more official visit before his USC visit. He hasn't guaranteed he's going to take that visit, but he probably will. Alabama's pushing hard for it. Um, you know, Tennessee is going to obviously push hard for it. I think the big deal with Jalen Ramsey was, you know, if T. Martin would have went to Tennessee, would have definitely opened that door up wider for Tennessee. Um, at this point, it's it's more of an uphill battle. I, I think, t- you know, T. Martin, while Jalen Ramsey's not going to USC because of T. Martin, it would have been just another reason to give Tennessee or another school another look. And so it would have given that avenue of, okay, I know a coach there, I've had contact and communication with him there. I can continue that contact and communication. Whereas, you know, Tennessee bringing in basically a whole new staff, um, you know, that, that changes things for him a little bit with them locally. Uh, so we'll see. But, I mean, right now he's, he's very solid. Jason Hatcher, been tough to get a hold of. He's been pretty quiet and, and is not a guy that, you know, is, is easy to get on the phone all the time. Um, that's kind of up in the air. He, he said, or his coach actually said, that he was going to take official visits uh, to Florida, Louisville. Um, Kentucky was another one that was on there. Uh, USC. I don't even believe that totally. I, I don't know that Kentucky's really going to be in there. Um, I know Louisville is has been there for him for a while, but I don't know if that's actually going to be an official visit. I think Florida and USC, and, and maybe, you know, Tennessee can get back into it. I think Georgia could possibly get back into it. The biggest issue with Georgia is Georgia's filling up. Um, they don't have enough rides right now, and so that that's a big issue for them. So they may just take themselves out of it. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be more of a, you know, does he really want to stay local and just go to Louisville? Uh, or is he going to go down to Florida? Um, Ohio State's another school in there as well that could be interesting too. So he, he's the guy that's definitely still a little open-ended. Uh, USC will get that visit January 18th, and we'll see if that's the last visit he takes. And that's, I know USC wants that to be the last visit he takes as a USC commitment. All right, we had uh, two questions from David. One, could you compare Greg Bryant, the recent ND commit, to Justin Davis? And then two, does UCLA have any commits that – USC should want or should scare us? That's from David. Um, with UCLA, not really. Um, you know, I mean, down the line, you know, they, like I said, they could get to Hong Goodman. They could get Priest Willis. I think Priest Willis is a good player. Um, you know, hopefully his back gets healthy. He's had issues with his back the whole year, and that's a little bit of a red flag when you talk about health. You know, you don't want to bring in guys who are already hurt or have chronic injuries. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, we'll see how UCLA finishes out their class right now. It's, it's kind of a class you look at and you're kind of going, okay, a lot of two-star guys, a lot of guys in there that are more projects. 
Um, they've trimmed the fat a little bit on that class and, and got rid of a, a couple of um, offensive linemen, which they really did get rid of. I mean, you know, it's not good to say that PR-wise for them, but, you know, Bunty and um, Sean Dowling were two players that they had committed, which I think they basically told them, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. And they, quote, unquote, decommitted, similar to how Elders Mashington decommitted from USC. Um, so I, I, with there, no, not really actually Jermaine Kelly, a guy that decommitted, then I think that was actually a legitimate decommit, um, is an interesting guy. He's a good player. He's a good player, good cornerback, not the fastest guy in the world. And I think with USC – on the clock, they are a little bit. Uh, they're a little bit. Um, uh, how you would say it? They 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 definitely like the speed clockwise when it comes to their defensive backs. You know, they want to see that tangible. Oh, this guy runs a four five type thing. And Jermaine Kelly's not really that guy, but he is a good player. I mean, I've seen him play in person. He is a good cornerback. So that's maybe a guy you know that that, that isn't really committed to UCLA anymore. That USC could be interested in. He'd be kind of maybe a plan B for a guy like Jalen Ramsey or, or something like that, maybe. Um, Greg Bryant versus Justin Davis. You know, we talked about this right after the Rivals Five Star Challenge in Atlanta. I mean, the biggest difference you see right away is Justin Davis is still a high school kid. Justin Davis has still got a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to put on weight. I mean, he was probably the least developed running back that we had down at the Five Star Challenge in Atlanta. And it was just interesting looking at those guys and how built, you know, the whole, all the running backs where you had Derek Green and you had Greg Bryant. Greg Bryant looks like he's been playing in college for three years. I mean, he's just freaking ripped and huge. He's got nowhere to go from there. That's going to be the biggest stock on him. One, he's just got no physical upside. You can't really gain much weight. You can't, you can't really do a whole lot. He is pretty much who he's going to be uh, the next four years. And B, there's a lot of top speed with him. He's quick, and uh, and he's a powerful runner, but he's not real fast and flat out fast. Where I would say Justin Davis has definitely got to step on him in that direction. Um, Davis is taller, much leaner. You know, Davis will end up around 220 at least, and uh, and that's just going to be weight that he puts on in college. Uh, but he's got a little more of that get go. Uh, where he can, you know, I think get into the secondary and, and break some more angles. He's not a true breakaway home run threat necessarily, although I will say in the open field, especially at the opening, we saw him make some moves in the open field that we didn't realize he had. I mean, for a guy who's more of a downhill runner power back, he really actually surprised us with some pretty nifty moves. I mean, he, cut, he had one play where he cut or he reversed field like three times during a during a 7-on-7 uh, game uh, match in the opening, which is really hard to do in seven on seven because you're not talking about breaking tackles. You're talking about two hand touch, basically, and it's hard to get away from guys reversing your field and juking them in two hand touch. And that's what he did. So I was pretty impressed with his ability in the open field and and just kind of his 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 instincts. Uh, you know, watching you know guys try to set up against him, and and it would be a tackle situation. But in this you know, case it's a two-hand touch situation, and being able to get away from those guys with his moves, um, not just putting his shoulder down, which we know he can do, but actually, you know, getting away, spinning away, doing all that kind of razzle-dazzle stuff. So the big difference is just, you know, I, I think upside is the biggest difference between the two. Um, you know, I, and upside is also a question mark. You know, you can also sit there and say, well, on the other side of, of things, Justin Davis, well, maybe he doesn't put on the weight, or maybe he doesn't do this, or he doesn't develop much more physically. You know, Craig, Greg Bryan is that guy that can come in immediately and already has that. There are no questions. Um, but I would say, good bet that uh, Justin Davis <laughs> develops physically quite well and, uh, and, and ends up being maybe a better player, probably, I think, actually a better player, just because I think statistically when you look at the speed, you look at the height, you look at all the things that he has – uh, he really, I mean, he could end up being real special. Okay, uh, let's go to Justin. He wants to know two things. When do the early enrollees sign and get on campus? And then two, do you see any signing day surprises? A, they don't really sign. Technically, they sign uh, some financial aid and some paperwork. And um, I think they can already sign that. Actually, I think Chris Hawkins has already signed that. Uh, that work, um, but they but they have to graduate first and foremost from high school. Most of those guys, this is their last week of school. So it's like Wednesday, Thursday, 
they actually graduate, and I think then they can send those papers in, and they're kind of official uh, from that standpoint. They'll be on campus January 10th. That's when the spring semester starts for USC. So that's kind of technically, I think, the real signing day for them, if you want to say, uh, for early enrollees. Signing day surprises, as far as the guys that actually sign on their letter of intent on signing day, February 6th, sure, sure. I mean, we talked about it already with that January 18th group of official visitors. You've got guys like Quentin Powell, who's a six-foot, 195-pound linebacker from, uh, from Delray uh, Beach, Florida, uh, went to the same high school as Leonard Williams. I didn't really talk about him as a player, and, and, and you know, I was trying to kind of get through that as fast as I can. Ha ha. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but yeah, but I mean, he, he's he's a guy that could be. He's an under, he's kind of a Deion Bailey type of linebacker. Maybe he's a guy that you could push back and play strong safety. Again, you're going to have Sue Cravens, and you're going to have uh, Quentin Powell, who are both strong safety types. Uh, guys that are really more kind of built like linebackers playing safety, but it's a possibility if you just your 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 depth and safety is not you know what you want it to be. Um, so he's a possibility. You know, Matthew Thomas more of a long shot. Carl Lawson more of a long shot. Um, you know, Ashawn Robinson is a guy that you know officially visited uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Six five, three hundred five pounds, a behemoth, a behemoth uh, defensive tackle. Um, you know, maybe a Vanderdose, uh, which was mentioned before, you know, Eddie Vanderdose, uh, the def- four-star defensive tackle from uh, Paso, California. If he decides he gets cold feet, he ends up going to Washington or UCLA or Notre Dame or where have you, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing for USC just to get Sean Robinson and slip Sean Robinson in there as a, as a three technique. I mean, there's, so USC really, they, like I said, there's even some redundancy if there's some guys that end up wavering in this class that are already committed on the defensive line. They've got some targets out there that they could end up landing to still make this a ridiculous defensive line class. I mean, if they land some of these guys that they have visiting and even lose some of these guys, they could have a better defensive line class. I mean, you put Ashawn Robinson up there and, and, and Montrevious Adams or, or Carl Lawson, I mean, shoot, <laughs> you're not getting any worse. <laughs> Those are five-star guys, and they are all legitimately good five-star guys. We saw Ashawn Robinson at the opening, and he was like, Kind of the guy at the opening. I mean, he was taking a lot of reps. He was kind of the leader out there. He was, you know, talking it up. And he was kind of the dude, you know. And and a lot of people at that point were talking about him maybe being an offensive lineman. Maybe he's really a left tackle. But I saw at the opening a guy that he was doing plenty on the defensive line and playing well on the defensive line that I didn't think it would be an issue for him to be able to play that on college. Um, and, And obviously, like we talked about with, you know, Montrevious Adams, that's a guy we haven't even seen in person, though. You know, Montrevious Adams is a little bit of a film star. We haven't seen him at, at, at any of these big deals at the opening or, or in Atlanta. Um, so that's a little more of a, okay, we'll take your word for it. On film, he looks good. And, and you know, just comes from the south and, you know, one of those top south defensive um, tackles. It's just more about reputation than anything. Um, it's funny because, you know, Kenny Bigelow was calling him out for the five-star challenge before they actually held that. Kenny Bigelow was like, hey, I'm going to the five-star challenge to go see how good Montrevious Adams is. I hope Montrevious Adams comes out in his own backyard and comes to play, and we'll see who's the best defensive tackle in the nation. And he was calling him out, Montrevious Adams stayed home. So, you know, okay. So we're not sure really how good Montrevious Adams is. But I tell you what, we know how good Carl Lawson is. And that dude, I know there's some people that go, well, he's only 6'2", you know, for a defensive end that's short. <laughs> and look at that dude is so explosive. He's out of control. I mean, he was he was like a rabid Rottweiler playing against those offensive linemen at the five-star challenge. And it's a shame that, you know, things didn't work out for him and uh, he ends up getting sent home at the opening and, and didn't get to play there because, I mean, he would have dominated that situation too. But one of the issues, though, however, I will add at, at the opening, is that those Georgia linemen were not allowed to put on pads. Uh, it, was a, it was a rule by uh, the Georgia High School Sports Association that you, you can't have pads on before a specific point in the year or you're ineligible. So and at the opening, they actually put helmets on and they have shoulder pads and they go at it. He wouldn't have been able to do that anyways. He would have had to, you know, like the other Georgia players there, had to just be, you know, like a regular camp with, with no pads and no, no helmet on. So his, you know, the one-on-ones that he would have been able to participate in would have been vastly limited. So that would have probably still raised, you know, raised questions. Um, although, like I said, Atlanta, I think that pretty much answered – everything that I needed to see as far as how good of a player he was. Uh, okay, let's see. We'll go um, 
to Stephen Powell. At this point, I'm trying to make these answers as long as I can. Yeah, no kidding. All right. I think we're, we're pretty much done. I'm going to have to skip some of these. But we'll go to uh, Stephen Poway. We all know that Manti Teo was, highly recruited, was a highly recruited five-star player out of high school, almost went to USC, then ended up in Notre Dame, uh, ultimately standing next to Johnny Football on the Heisman stage while Barkley and Lee watched from home, unfortunately. However... When I researched the winner, Johnny Manziel, I learned he was only a three-star player in the class of 2011, according to Rivals. Class of 2008, Colin Klein was only a three-star player, according to Rivals as well. What kind of assessment process is there in evaluating players? Were Manziel and Klein under-assessed, or were they coached up, or both? That's from Stephen Poway. Well, it's tough for me to answer because I don't have much say in that process. You know, I couldn't even tell you... You know, somebody says, oh, well, this guy's a 5.8 recruit. I, 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 he's a four-star? That's a four-star, right? He's six, six is a five-star? I don't really pay attention to the rankings that much because I'm not involved with him. I, I would say from an outside opinion and, and just kind of knowing how it kind of gets put together uh, from, from kind of an outside perspective, I would say they're under-assessed. Mainly because Manziel is what five eleven. He's not a very tall quarterback, um, and he's just a guy that in high school probably did the same thing that he's doing now in 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 college, where he's just running around, he's making plays, he's throwing the ball well. I think just from a makeup standpoint, it's hard to go out on a limb and say, yeah, this guy's a four star, this guy's a five star, uh, just with his build. I, I think that's just an NFL thing. And, and I, you know, he's going to have to have, he's probably going to have a lot of those questions come up, you know, later on in his college career when people start talking about him as an NFL prospect. They're going to say, well, is he the next Flutie or is he the next Scott Frost? You know, that's, that's still going to be a question for him. So I think that's where the assessment comes in. With Klein, you know, I don't know Klein's background very well. I don't remember him as a recruit so much. Um, but uh, if he's from Kansas, then I would say definitely that they probably had something to do with it. There's not a whole lot of people going into Kansas uh, to evaluate those guys. Um, but I, I just don't remember enough about Klein uh, other than to say he's another one of those quarterbacks that he's a system type guy. And I don't, I, I don't even know how well you can assess him as an NFL quarterback. And I think that's changing now that you're starting to see guys like RG3, Cam Newton, um, even Andrew Luck to some extent, who's, who's pretty mobile. You're starting to see the NFL use these guys in that fashion. And it's still an evolution of sorts. I mean, we're at the cusp of it. And I don't know if the NFL is completely ready to, 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 to bring these guys in open arms because you've seen injuries, you know, with like guys like RG3. And you, there's been some things that have gone on where you see that people go out, you know what, that's why you don't have one of those quarterbacks. I think with the roster limitations and things, the salary that you're giving quarterbacks, it's going to have to change the game just drastically in, in, in a complete sense of even your draft picks. And, and is the quarterback position really, you know, the, the position that you have to you put all this money into? Because the more you have guys running the ball, the more you're going to start to look at them as running backs. And we see already that running backs, the value of running backs has gone down dramatically in the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of teams just waiting until – the, the later rounds to even draft a quarterback or excuse me, a running back. And so you might have that type of opinion more with quarterbacks that they're, they have to be more durable, that you have to have more than one during the season. So we're not going to spend all our money on one guy when we have to have maybe multiple guys, because now we have them running, they're going to get hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you know, the defenses are starting to adjust to them. It's a whole thing. And I think it goes right back down to the high school level and the opinions and the assessments and, you know, kind of the biases of, okay, can, can Colin Klein really be a legitimate guy uh, in college? Well, you know what? At USC, he, he probably is not starting. <laughs> At USC, a lot of the attributes that make him a good quarterback would not be good for that system. You're going to have him be a, a, a really more of a passer. Is he that good enough of a passer to be in a post-style system? No. So, you know, it's, there, there's a lot more fit in college because you have so many more systems. You have so much, so much more variety with offenses. I mean, you have guys that play in the Oregon's offense that you can look at and say, well, you know what, that guy is not going to be able to play in the NFL because most NFL offenses are not like that. Again, it, it's, it's kind of a chain reaction of things, and I think really it's, it's really unique. It's really interesting. I'm excited, totally, totally intrigued at the possibility of, of Chip Kelly actually going to the NFL and coaching Carolina, the Eagles, wherever, you know, he may end up. 
that's going to be the real test. I mean, that, that's going to be the real, okay, we played around <laughs> we played around with this running quarterback spread option thing a little bit. We've tinkered with it in the NFL. He would bring it on full on like they've never seen. And I just wonder, you know, does it work? Does it not work? Does it in between kind of work sometimes? You know, how does that, how does that take to them? So I, I just, I, I mean, it doesn't even have to be Chip Kelly. If somebody came in with that attitude, uh, but I think it has to be Chip because I think he is really – Oregon does it that way. You know, I know there's a lot of people say, oh, they, have, they run their offense like Oregon does. No, they don't. You know, there's a lot of spread offenses out there. There's a lot of no-huddle offenses out there. But really, Oregon is Oregon is Oregon. You know, West Virginia doesn't even do it like Oregon. Nobody really does it like Oregon. So it would be interesting to see, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit of it. Man, if Chip Kelly came in and really brought that system and somebody was really saying, all right, let's go for it. Let's do it. You know, let's go ahead and trade for Tim Tebow and let's do this system for real. How would it really look? How would, would it change the NFL forever? Would, would every team just decide, you know what, it is going to be successful. It is a new wave. Let's do it. Or, you know, does that quarterback get his head taken off in week six and it's like, you know what, we can't do it, not at this level. I don't know. All right, GM, one last one, and we'll let you go. Uh, don't even know if you know who this kid is, but we'll see. I didn't send it to you ahead of time. Eric wants to know what's going on with 2014 recruit Tyler, I think it's Lua Tua, uh, out of mm-hmm. La, La, La Mirada um, High School. La Mirada, yeah. Uh, what's going, what's on, going on with him? Nothing right now. I mean, he's, he says USC and Alabama are his two top schools. Uh, his brother uh, goes to uh, Alabama and is the backup center for Alabama. Hasn't played much for Alabama, which is, could be impactful on his decision. It was really kind of weird. Alabama really even recruited him. Kind of came out of nowhere where he got an offer from Alabama. Uh, he was, you know, a three-star guy and, and not really highly recruited. Tyler is highly recruited. Tyler uh, is playing tight end. He's playing defensive end. From what I know watching him and even what I heard from other people, I really get the feel he's a better defensive player than he is an offensive player. He may want to play offense more, but I get the sense he really is a better defensive end than he is a tight end. And I, and I think that's kind of how his recruitment will go with the majority of the teams that want him. You know, there may be that game where they're like, oh, yeah, sure, you can come in and play either position and more recruit you as an athlete because we see that so many times now. Uh, but I, I get the sense he's really a better defensive end uh, than he is going to be a tight end. Um, and, and he's got an offer from USC. USC's recruiting him. You know, whether his recruitment goes along and is prolonged or he decides to make a decision early, it's hard to tell. You know, at this point, he says he wants to take all his visits. He wants to do this, wants that. We hear that time and time again. And then kids go, you know what? I'm tired of hearing from all these coaches. I'm tired of getting phone calls. I'm going to go ahead and pop the, pop the, uh, pop the, the commitment and just, you know, end it all right now. So, that's a possibility. I mean, you just never know. At this point, he kind of wants to take his time. And uh, really the only, the only, you know, the only news or the only thing that we've really heard from him consistently is that USC and, and Alabama are his two tough schools. You know, Alabama has that in with his brother being there, uh, but USC is, is definitely the local favorite. And, and they might be the favorite if, if, you know, his brother's not really liking Alabama as much as maybe he thought he was going to when he committed there. All right, good stuff. We went almost an hour, but uh, yeah, almost sorry. an hour. See, I didn't go long enough. I should have answered. I should have brought in some more questions about 2014, or just you know decided to opine about uh, the defensive coordinator situation. I skipped a few of the questions, but a lot of them. I mean, we talked about you know you had hit on other topics and stuff. But I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show. We I forgot about it last week. I told people we we're going to do one, and didn't end up happening. But glad we got to get to it this week and, and talk some recruiting with you. Yeah, yep. I just uh, hopefully I I hit on as many questions that were not answered directly as possible. That was yeah. my that was my goal from the beginning. <laughs> well, I think you, <laughs> think you achieved that goal. You can sleep soundly tonight, Gerard, knowing that you did that. You answered just about every possible recruiting question that could be out there. I think you answered it. There you go. And then I'm I'm sure there's probably ten or twelve questions waiting for me right now in the peristyle. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks again, Gerard. Really want to thank you for coming on the show. As always, always fun talking USC football and recruiting. And everyone else just wanted to thank you for tuning in uh, the Peristyle Podcast. We will not have a show next week uh, for the Christmas holiday, but we'll be back after that. want to wish everyone a happy holidays out there. Hope you enjoy Christmas and New Year's and all of that. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks very much.
been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.